0: Out here in the perimeter there are no stars. Out here we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed we are. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. Let's be honest. This week is going to be a photographer because I spoke to David Godless very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and everything else, but mostly about photography. A few years ago, he did a book titled The Blank Generation Revisited, The Early Days of Punk Rock, which features... All those people from the world that was uh, CBGB's, Max's, Kansas City, etc. Um, and then, very recently, in fact, in the last couple of weeks, I do believe, or months, he's brought out another book called um, Yes, Godless Streets. It is his work in New York. Street photography, that's his uh, gig, really. Um, so, that is it. It's um, published on Real Art Press. So there you go, buy it for Christmas. Though I do think it's going to be sold out very soon because um, it's been very popular. And I do believe that Blank Generation Revisited is also going to be republished very soon as well. Anyway, it's a fascinating story. So this is it. And after several minutes of casual chat with David, as you do in the world that is showbiz, we got down to the exciting subject that was his entry and world that is photography. David, tell us more. How did it all begin?
1: The original, the, the first path was to just buy a camera which back in 1970 was kind of a modern contraption to buy a 35 millimeter camera that like chain, you, you know, you put a roll of film in and took pictures on. But really I'd seen Blow Up in 1966's Blow Up, I think. The movie Blow Up by yeah. Michelangelo Antonioni. So that was all about a photographer. Aside from the fact that it had Vanessa Redgrave, it had nudity, it had you know, mystery. It had David Hemmings. It wandered through nightclubs where the, where the, the yardbirds were playing. Um, but it was a movie about photography. Went into the, It was the first place I saw a dark room. And in a way, it made photography look really cool to me. So probably that's why I bought that camera, camera four years later on a whim in 1970. I, I wanted to be a writer and... Um, or I thought I might be good at being a writer. And so I was sort of going to school up in Boston for uh, writing for lack of a, a better thing to figure out what to do with my life. And um, and then I picked up this camera and all of a sudden I started photographing my friends who at the time, you know, I could make them look like a band even if they weren't a band. Right. Uh, and And I could practice, you know, taking pictures of them in places that I thought might be interesting. And then from there, it just went into like, I, I went into like the school library and started taking books off the shelves of photographers that existed from the past. And then I started to realize there's this thing called photography that's that's a kind of, it's, it's, it's more than just like Kodak, take your picture and have it developed. It's, it's, there's a history to it. It goes back, it was invented back in the 1800s. Where, where do you, what is it? And I became really interested in this thing, the the history of photography combined with how it works in the modern world. What journalists use it, artists use it. What exactly is it? And I, I just decided maybe this is, I maybe this is what I should be doing because people like my pictures. It comes really fairly easily to me to get a good picture. I don't know why, but it does. And um, and so I went to a photography school at that point, and the photography schools were more kind of experimental things. That you know they they were they weren't they weren't areas of college that were just for photography. Mostly they were like people that were going to journalism school that had to study photography if they had to do journalism, but they didn't want to take that course. They really wanted to just do articles. And so I snuck into that course first. Then I went to an experimental school was kind of set up just for photography. And that was pretty new in 1973, called Image Works up in Boston. And oddly enough, the first class I took there, I was in with Nan Golden. We were both in like one of our first classes. And, you know, photographers kind of um, in that first class, you show what you've been doing before you learn what you're gonna do next. And, um, And I remember her showing her stuff and me showing my stuff. And we both were basically where we ended up going. You know, she was doing already, she was more in the Diane Arbus vein. I was more in the Robert Frank, Gary Winogrand vein uh, of people on the street. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, once I got into it, I got deep into it. I like was, you know, I just thrust myself in. I went, this is really, I think, what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yes. I wasn't quite sure how I was gonna make a living at it, but I knew this was what I wanted to do. And I was always geared towards the art vein of photography. The things that were you know like I went and saw that Diane Arbus show from her first monograph Uh, it was like in between the class I snuck into and the school I went to so 1972 I went up to the Museum of Modern Art and that was when that Diane Arbus famous monograph first came out a year after she died and the lines were like around the block to get into that and I remember going up and going wow this is it just opened my eyes to like another type of photography and i just was like you know I, I i i you just start learning what other photographers do and then you figure out how to do it yourself in a different way that's influenced by that way and um and so yeah that's i just um, became totally interested in and i still am i mean i just it's it's a it's even though i went down to new york from boston to uh to get work because there were more photographers to knock on doors of um to get assistant jobs, then I stumbled into CBGBs to go look for some place to, you know, down on the Valley to hear music when I first got to New York and to meet people because there was no yeah. internet. And um, and and even there, I was like looking at a Brassai book at the time that had just come out, the French photographer who photographed Paris in the 1930s but was still alive in the 1970s and putting out a book of what he thought was his great work from the 30s. And I looked at that and I went, well, may, you know, maybe somehow the, the, the two combined because I was going to CBGBs and I knew that was kind of an artistic scene. And I went, well, what if I photograph this the way Versailles photographed the 1930s, I'll photograph the 1970s. And it just all was kind of a natural stumbling into things progression that that became my next project. I went, oh, why don't I do this? I'll photograph it differently because everybody else is photographing it with flash and you know, making people look like punks by putting the lighting so their hair is spiked up with shadows, and I'll shoot it without any kind of like regular lighting, just whatever is in the club and whatever's out on the street, and that became my style. So that I differentiated, you know, so I felt like I was doing something different, and at the same time, nobody was buying pictures then anyway of punks. They could have cared less. I send them to NME and you make ten bucks, and they get a free subscription to NME and um, and keep photographing, and, and, you know, you sort of go like, well, I bet I'll be able to do something with these one of these days. Let's let's put these aside, and I'll have my day job to make my money. And um, it just has been a, you know, a strange progression, but it's it's an artistic progression as opposed to just a um, photographic progression, I suppose. Yes. that's That's what I chose to do because it seemed to be the only thing I was able to do In photography, that was a little bit different, that would make my work um, noticed. Were
0: you quite idealistic at that stage? Did you have that kind of sense of being a sort of on on a creative journey? And sort of when you look back at yourself now, do you sort of think, my God, I was quite naive, but luckily it kind of worked out? Because sometimes, you know, some people think, right, I'm going to be a writer, and it doesn't work, and then they get. job in the council or they get a job just a regular job whereas a few of you have the belief that you're really going to make it and that those photographs a bit like what Kevin Cummings done and various other people those pictures that we you took and that scene that we probably went at the time I wasn't there by the way (laughs) but, but you know there were scenes in the 80s where you just took it for granted and then you look back and you think my god if only someone had photographed this you know it would have been such a good idea whereas I did notice with you New York and CPG and Max's Kansas City especially and a bit the mud club you know there were some people who did think oh actually I should photograph this really well because it will then elevate it a little bit more so I just wondered if there was that sense of yeah yeah because in the 60s a lot of the people who were there you know that on that kind of counterculture really did believe it and they must look back and go god oh, we were naive but if you have enough belief it probably creates a career in something else i just wondered if, if that was the same that you I, you felt at the time
1: yeah i was uh, you know when you said i was i was a teenager in the 60s and so i received all the media from the 60s and still was close enough i was outside outside new york city to 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 you know hang around where some of the stuff was going on but not really be any part of it and um and i remember telling myself you know, when I was a teenager, that if I ever run into one of these things, this kind of a scene that seems to be new, like if I'd run into the Velvet Underground at a plane one night, you know, that I hope I remember and I hope I'm aware of it. And so when I walked into CBGB's, which really was just to hear music, it struck me that something really different is happening here. And in, in a way it's, it resonated back because I walked into CBGB's the first time and I, and television, the band television was playing. And I, I, it's it sort of, I looked around and I, I just went like, these people all seem to be people that have a Velvet Underground album. <laughs> but you didn't really run into that. You know, there was like one place in New York city that I could have walked into and had that experience. And it was that place CBGB's and I recognized it immediately I went like I had the feeling it was a comfortable place but I also had the feeling something's going on here and, and I wasn't even quite sure yet and um so yeah I and and then once I started to hang out there every night I I was quite sure I was onto to something and I was quite sure everybody there was on to something and everybody there felt they were onto to something that creates a scene and makes it Happen, you know that everybody believes it, and um, and I remember people like going, you know, I remember watching the Ramones, and and people would go like, this is the this is the Cavern Club, this we're we're in the Cavern Club watching the Beatles, and and people would you know that would be like, it wouldn't even be you know, a fight. People would go like, yeah, we are, and and um, and then you walk out of that club and into the real world. And everybody's like what the hell are you doing in that place you know like that place is I'd show people my pictures from that I was taking just look what I'm this is what I'm shooting now and I'd show them like a box of pictures and they go what are you doing and I go like "Well, you know first first of all photographing musicians wasn't considered like a artistic thing to do and then I'd go like well to listen to this 45 by the Ramones and they'd go oh my God, you're photographing bad bands. I <laughs> photographing good bands. And I'd go like, yeah, in a way, I understand what you're saying, but that's not true because it's all really cool and all really new and you don't get it yet. But I can't convince you because time has to pass, you know, and, and one of us will be right and one of us will be wrong. Or maybe both of us will be right. I don't know. But time had to pass. I understood you've got to keep believing in what you're doing and do it. And also I could have been wrong. I mean, I could have like been in a scene that wasn't what CBGB's and the punk scene turned out to be. I could have been following something, truly believing it, photographing it. I got lucky in that what I was following was really unique. You know, not only did I think it was unique and continue on as if, but it turned out to be really unique. But even, even that took for me, about 10 to 10, 12 years, I'd say, you know, like I got there in 76, I shot till 79, I still hung out there because it was a local bar, but the scene had moved on. And then in the 80s, I would show my pictures to people and they'd go like, yeah, but these are old pictures of old bands, you know, old back then was three years ago. You know, like because here, here, you know, flock of seagulls was on the radio, and like I'm trying to tell people Patty Smith, and they're like, "Well, she's gone, she's retired." I don't know why you're bringing these pictures out for it. They're nice pictures, but I don't need them. And um, and then when Nirvana hit in '91, '92, you know, just at the point where I boxed them all up and put them away, Nirvana hit, and people started calling, I'm going, "Don't you have those pictures of those bands that like were?" Like you know, uh, playing their own music and three chords uh, songs, and 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 back in New York, and I said, yeah, 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 and then then it was a very quick progression from Nirvana to uh, Please Kill Me, the book coming out, mm-hmm. which kind of codified that what w- what was the difference between the Sex Pistols and what was going on in England and. Patti Smith and the Ramones and what was going on in America, and that actually some of the New York stuff had happened before some of the, because se- the Sex Pistols stuff, and even in America, that's all people knew. They were like, oh, the Sex Pistols is punk. You know, they didn't be, even know the Ramones. And then eventually, Please Kill Me codified it around 93. And um, people went, oh, that's the history. Now it's written in a book. And then the Rock and roll hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame started, you know, going like, we need these pictures because it's history of rock and roll, and and it, it it just you know from that point on, you know everything everything became history that that I thought would be history. Yes, well, but you it, well, don't really know till it ha- till 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 you live it out.
0: Well, it's yeah, it is interesting because I know you know from Kevin Cummings, you know, it's like on Christmas Day, nineteen seventy six. You know, you went to some northern town. And some minor's benefit to watch the sex pistols on christmas day that's kind of an odd thing to do and and obviously a your parents must have felt a bit strange about it and b didn't you sort of think you know you must have been a big fan to do that and you obviously had the same attitude that you know actually this is quite important and i want to give it my best shot and i'll do my best work but like you said it could have just ended up going i've got all these boxes of this band and it's like yeah but we don't no one knows them but you know the sex right. pistols become the sex pistols joy division become joy division the ramones you know it's like my god i can't i lucked out but it it's an interesting one it's like a long-term investment isn't it because because it's only with time that suddenly these things seem to uh, sort of i suppose ferment and then sort of become like okay this is an established this is a real thing now rather than something I mean there must be scenes and I can't remember them but some things that have just happened were big and then have just disappeared and it's like to be honest mate they're never going to come back you know some of the poor glam stuff some of the probably the poor you know but but that that kind of punk scene which must have looked really to the establishment like oh my god you know what about the Grateful Dead what about the Eagles what about you know Fleetwood Mac you know Steely Dan not not the Ramones so you must have had that, and but, but what I was going to say is that I found that with a lot of artists, they have that five year or three year period where they're on the scene, and and the photographer Mick Rock, you know, was you know, Mr. David Bowie, and he does all right. that kind of stuff. But then his work is like, oh right, you didn't quite keep on the scene. You something happened, and you're not photographing those young kids in grubby little clubs anymore. You've kind of missed it. Somehow, you know, you're not you're not at the punk scene and you're not at the indie scene or the rap scene anymore. So being on the scene is quite a, it's quite a skill. It, well something. Well, like.
1: I for me because I always saw myself as a photographer as opposed to you know I I, I didn't see myself as a I I was broadly like a, a into photography and then I sort of stumbled into CBGB's. It started getting my work published and seen some places, but. Then the scene moved on and I was like getting jobs, if you could call them that. You know, I was getting paid to take pictures of bands. And, um, and then I started to realize I'm taking pictures of bands I don't really care about. So that, the passion is gone. And, um, and I started to realize that I'm, I'm really, what I do is take pictures of people. I'm good at that. And, um, and so I said, and I'm interested, I was interested in film. So I, somebody said, well, well, also because I knew Jim Jarmusch and I wanted to see his n- film Down by Law, and it was playing at the New York Film Festival, and somebody said, you know, you can go to the New York Film Festival and get a press pass and see press screenings of the films and photograph the directors at press conferences, and I went, well, oh, that's interesting. And then I started to realize I can photograph people, but they don't have to always be rock and roll people. I can move over because film interests me, and also I, I I really like finding getting pictures of somebody when they're first starting out. So I could see these directors come into New York for the New York Film Festival every fall, and I I I would end up with pictures of directors when they were young and starting out, which is better for me. That's my type of photography, and so I I switched over from rock and roll. To film, and I and I, I I would go every year, and then they have programming all through the year, and I would offer my services, and eventually I that became my next CBGBs. I didn't stick around following every rock and roll band. I would I moved over and started photographing film directors, and you know people like Juan Kar Wai would come to town, and, and I'd go like uh, that's cool. I, yeah, I'll I'll get the cool film director before somebody knows about him. Right and i'll have access, and I'll get to see films, whereas before I get to photograph the Ramones and get to hear the Ramones now i'll just switch my people over to here and and so I realize that that's kind of where my progress goes i i can't, I'm constantly just I'm, I, I like finding things out, finding things before somebody else finds them because i after punk, I realize I kind of have a um instinct for some some of those things, and then um and and then being able to take pictures of, of, of interesting people and you end up with a collection of stuff because that's what photographers do. They kind of, you know, they, 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 they're a picture is pointing to something and going, look at this. And then you, you're showing somebody going, look at this, you know, and, and you end up with a collection of look at this. And then you see, you know, if, 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 you, if, you're, if you follow your instincts, which is kind of what I do, and not just my instincts, also assignments, you know, you you, you get calls for assignments. Um, You, you end up with a, with a body of work after a number of years and that body of work, it doesn't just go from being like kind of interesting to more interesting, all kinds of layers of the onion peel off as, as the picture gets older, you know, that you take a picture of somebody that's, that, that, doesn't mean that much when you first take it, but then something happens to their lives as things go along and you go like, wow, I have a picture of this person before that happened to them. And and, and it just becomes, um, there's, there's layers of the onions and certainly with the Ramones. I mean, nobody would expect that all the Ramones would be dead by now. I mean, <laughs> that's crazy to think, you know, but yeah. every step of the way was, you know, I'm saying it now as in everybody, but it starts off with like, Joey's dying. You know, and then it becomes one more thing after that. You know, and and um, and so as as the the pictures themselves, there are all kinds of layers of the onion that revolve around them.
0: Yes, absolutely. And did you? I mean, because obviously, when you're taking pictures in CBGBs of the Ramones and Television Blondie and people like that, that's kind of one thing because people aren't looking at you. But when you start taking pictures of portraits of photog- of directors and also people like Juliette Binoche, I mean, that's quite a different gig altogether, isn't it? So do you, did you, as a person, have to start to develop ways of, of being and interacting with people that you felt like, God, this, this requires another skill because I'm having to have this kind of one-to-one relationship?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I... A lot of the, I did have that a little bit with punk because, you know, I'd be called in to photograph uh, Johnny Rotten, well, at that time he was John Lydon and like, you know, in public image. And it would be a hotel room, you know, where, you know, I was going along with the writer and basically you're winging it. You're going like the writer's wondering what kind of mood Johnny Rotten's going to be in. And you're kind of just sitting there not participating Spending in the conversation, but going. I bet I could get a picture out of this, you know, somehow. And um, and you only have this much time. Sometimes the you know it's Bananarama, and you and and um, you have like five minutes, you know. And you and it's like you. I I find that I'm pretty good at in those five in, in those five minutes. For some reason, I have a kind of a friendly face, and so like the Bananarama, they just thought you know. And something i said was funny and they just kept cracking up and the more <laughs> the girls cracked up the better the picture looked yes you know? and, I, and and so in 5 minutes i had like what i needed and um and then sometimes you have way more time and uh and so you adapt to each situation and in the film festival um it's a little bit more it, it can be everything from a red carpet where you go you know, I don't want to be the guy that's in that group of photo photographers that are all getting a picture of the person up against a backdrop. And they're all going, look here, look here, look here, look here, look here. There's a thing called floater. And so because I had a relationship with the film festival, I said, let me be the floater on the red carpet. And floating means you can stand out to the side and then after they're done with those guys, you can go, hey, can you look over here for just a second? And you get a picture of them. And so I developed a way of getting good pictures that way, a good angle and a, good, and, and a feel for being on the red carpet without getting the shot what, that all the other guys were there to bring to their, their photo agencies, the shot straight flat on. And the photo agency didn't want the shot I was getting. You know, I was getting the shot that, that, was, uh, that I wanted. Yes. And that I could and I could give it to the film festival and let them you can do something with this. You don't need the flat. You know, you have a guy over there doing the flat shot. Let me do the side shot, you know, and um, and so I always sort of, you know, came up with some kind of strategy that worked for both of us. You know, whoever I was doing the job for and whoever I was and for myself. So I could get a little bit of the shot of that they need and then walk away with the shot that I needed. And I, I'd see that in other photographers that I liked, like somebody like you know, I'd see other photographers. I'd go, hey, they, they, Lee Friedlander gets the shot that he's paid for, but he also gets the shot he wants out of that. How do I do that? How do I, you know, how do I, how do I get on, on job and do both things?
0: Quite a skill. So look, what happens then when you sort of go to the hotel room to see one of these people like, you know, perhaps it's not Johnny Rotten or John Leiden, but. It probably could be, but you know, one artist where you walk in and you think, oh my God, the atmosphere is not good. They might or not, not, might, or might right. not be on drugs. Um, the You know, they don't want to see you. You're probably thinking, God, this is not good either. If it wasn't for the, if, if it wasn't for the assignment, you would just go, yeah, forget that He's an asshole. But what happens when you have to sort of try somehow to work, work that kind of moment when you've got that five minutes
1: or 10 minutes to try and get that picture? You just do the best you can you know and you hope that what what the way you proceed with the best you can i mean there's a lot of calculations going on in your head of what you're going to what you're going to walk into and then you walk into it may be exactly what you think and it may be totally different than you think and and you you think on your feet and you think with your eyes and you just go like you know whatever i have to do you know i'm i'm not pushy with stuff so i kind of pretty much you know, if if somebody's like, well, what should I do? What do you want me to do? When I'm like, I don't want you to do anything. Just stand there. You're fine, you know, and I start taking the pictures. And um you just hope for the best, really. I mean, you know, you're, 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 um, I, I, sometimes it's a bad situation, but I, I don't, I'm, if I don't get a good picture, I
0: don't get a good picture. Yes. Is there a particular picture that we can look at that you think, God, that was, that was a bit of a tricky moment, but really pleased with the result. And you would not believe that that was one of those situations which could have gone, you know, just like, actually, forget it. It's not going to work. And it actually, then it turned out to be a picture that you think, God, that's extraordinary. I managed to capture something there which, frankly, wasn't, wasn't going to be on the cards.
1: You know, I, I, you know I, I'll bring back the John Lydon situation where, where he was completely hungover. You know, it was it was just him and Keith Levine. I think it was. Oh yes, because they were quite on drugs at one stage. They? Yeah, and they were definitely on on something, and completely. And J- John Lydon had um, he had he had a glass. He was drinking from beer or something from a glass, and um, and sometimes spitting it out on the rug of the hotel room. But he wasn't really acting out. He wasn't doing the John Lydon thing. He was just sitting there, and the one thing he had done before I walked in the room was he had turned all, a couple of photographs, a couple of, um, you know, artwork that was on the wall of the hotel room were askew. They were hanging crooked. And so I just went like, I'm gonna stay right where I am. He's gonna stay right where he is. He's barely, you know, moving. So he's not animated. But those pictures are askew behind him and it really just expresses the mood that he has. You know, he, whether he did that, I'm sure on purpose, was perfect for me. And I just, sta- I, didn't, I didn't do anything. I sat in one spot in the room and I photographed him from that spot and, until I got a few good ones of him just sitting with his drink and just stopping for a moment in between talking to the interviewer. So you just you you figure out ways of working, you know. Like it's like like we we're like anything, you know. If you're in an uncomfortable situation, you figure out how to at least get through it and how to make it comfortable for you. And if you have a camera, you go. You, you, I'm I'm busy assessing the light, assessing what I can do and what I can't do, and just making the most of what I can do. You know, yes. and 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 then I get out, and I was like, I got a great picture of him. A great few shots of him. And you'd think it was like a portrait session, but it wasn't a portrait session. He was talking to the interviewer, and I was catching him in breaks. And sometimes it's that, and sometimes it's just, um, but I'm trying to think of, of one that, where, things have, where I thought things were going to really go awry, but I, I can't really think up one right now. Right, that's fine, that's fine. You know, no, the, disasters was... are usually around, happen after the picture. You know, you like, like you're you're on the red carpet and you see some actress crying, and people running over to her, and you're like, "What the hell's going on over there?" And I'm I don't want to photograph that, you know. I just want to sort of know what's going on. I've you know, and 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 they're like, "She's angry because some photographer said something to her, and now she's going to not come back on the red carpet, and she's having an emotional breakdown over here." And this guy's the the publicist is trying to. Calm her down and get her back. And if she comes back, you'll get a picture. You know, another one. Oh, what's his name? Um, oh, I forgot the actor's name. Damn. Uh. Who, who's um. River, oh River Phoenix's brother. Uh, oh um. Yeah. Anyway, so he was on the red carpet, and and he's and for one some big film, opening night film at the New York Film Festival, and um. He's. You know, the whole, all the photographers are like, they want his picture. And he's coming down the red carpet. And the word is, he's gonna stand, he's gonna come down the red carpet with his mother. And he'll only be photographed with his mother. You know, that's a trick to sort of not let you get a individual shot of him. Like he wants her, he, he's gonna be close to her. So it's gonna be hard to crop her out of the picture and get the shot you want. And he And everybody thinks he's being difficult. And so he's coming down the whole red carpet. And I'm like the floater guy, which means I'm going to get the last picture. Like he's going to finish with everybody and then I get his picture and then he leaves the red carpet to go into the event. And he gets to me and he tells his mother, you can go in, I'll meet you. And um, you know, he doesn't know me or anything. And, and, and he goes, and, and, uh, and I get to photograph him. I say, oh, you're not going to be photographed with your mother? And he goes, no, it's not my mother, it's not my publicist. And, you know, it wasn't his mother, mother all the time. It was a whole con to not be photographed by everybody. But he gave up the con for me and let me take the picture at the end. So it's, it's, sometimes it's, you just don't expect it. You figure, I'm going to get stuck taking the picture with his mother, too. Yeah. You know? And the guy turns out to be really nice and says, like, I've gone through all of them. Now I just have you. <laughs> you know, I don't have to worry about them. You, you, you take my picture. And, and, and that's, that's the gift.
0: Yes. So then, because cause I saw, I suspect I you might have saw it on Netflix, you know, the, the, the Mick Rock kind of documentary, and he's there doing kind of, um, not headstands, but doing some sort of yoga pose, well, on his head, and getting all hyped up, and he's doing Snoop Dogg, and it's all very, it's like Austin Powers, but, you know, without the um, humour, I suppose. It's being serious. But then you sort of have got this book which is on the streets, isn't it? Which is very different yeah. to that wanting to hang out with you know, JC or, you know, Beyonce or people like that. So obviously your heart is kind of ordinary people, ordinary lives in New York.
1: Yeah, well, I, the, the punk scene, you know, was, I felt like all those people, that was the heart of it, that people dressed in their street clothes and wanted to be, didn't, didn't want to be looking, you know, like off-putting stars, you know. Um, and I, no, I, I, I always the street photography thing was something I came to early on when I started taking pictures. I I just thought that type of photography where you walk around the streets with a camera and just photograph people unbeknownst to them most of the time and get the flavor of what life looks like and then try to make something artistic out of the image that you're creating that looks cool the way you know any band would create a 45 that that sounds cool and would get airplay on the radio. I thought like going out in the streets and taking pictures of people in black and white is a really interesting thing to do and sometimes the pictures are really interesting to look at. I didn't know quite how I was going to market them aside from taking them to art galleries but art galleries at that point were sort of had had enough of that. Well let's go on to the next thing but I kept shooting that and and so um yeah, I I became comfortable doing that, and even going down to CBGBs. You might say, the people that I was photographing, I was photographing in that style. Somebody like um, Alex Chilton, who um, had, he he had a history. He was in New York at that time. Big Star had broken up, and um, and he was in his in between phase. And he was an admirer. He was an admirer of what was going on in the punk scene in New York, and so. Uh, but he was also a, a, a fan of photography because he had been friends with this photographer, William Eggleston, who did, I think, the first Big Star cover amongst other things and later went on to become a really famous color art photographer. And, um, and so I used to talk with Alex about William Eggleston and photography. And then, you know, Alex kind of saw what I was doing and he, and he went like, let's go out on the street and take a picture out on the Bowery. Let's see what we can get at night. And, you know, he would push me to like various limits, like, let's stand out in the middle of the road and and we'll take a picture, you know, and see what you get. And, you know, he joyed that it had a bit of joy in pushing me a little bit further than I was almost ready to go. And then and Richard Lloyd did the same thing with me in the hospital, like, you know, let's take pictures of me in the hospital um, with my IV and, and like, you know, lighting up a cigarette in front of an oxygen sign. And, um, and so the the two kind of words, worlds of my photography kind of merged, you know, the, the, you can almost, the cover of my book, which kind of looks like this, you can almost, I'm, you know, piece it together with Richard Lloyd trying to light up a cigarette in front of a no oxygen sign where I've got her in front of this sign <laughs> over here, you know, they, they, they understood what I did in one way and played around with it and how will that look good in rock and, and you know, if I send it to NME, will they publish it? And, yes. Yeah, they will, you know, and that'll get them on in, into the newspaper.
0: So did that require a little bit more front from you? Because obviously there's the, you know, snapping you know, pictures of people where, you know, they're not going to be able to see it. But there's a lot of photographs I've noticed that people are, you know, you're in front of them. So you can't just, I say you can't, you might have done, you know, just take a picture because they go, hey, mate, what are you doing? So did you engage with many of those people? No. I I engaged with hardly any of them. Right. right? So what was the response when you took a photograph and someone
1: went, hey, what did you just do that for? They didn't do that. They didn't. I I had a strategy. I realized, like, you know, when I started to do street photography, if you're not willing to try to take the picture, like, get, I mean, you can get across the street with a long lens and photograph somebody from far away. But I realized to get the good pictures, you got to have the wide-angle lens. you got to be right up there next to them. So how do people do that? There's not like a lot of guidebooks on how to do that. So I started do I start doing it, and realizing, you know, you 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 realize that there are ways of one. I got my camera here. One way that I realized you can do is like after you take the picture, like when you're doing this, if you if you go like wow I got a great picture and you look at it after you take it. That's a dead giveaway. So you take the picture and then you go, you look at the right behind them. Like, oh, I got a great picture right over there. And they turn around to look at, what was he taking a picture of?
0: They don't see anything
1: back there. And they go like, oh, well, you know, they go on with their lives. Especially in analog days, film costs money. And people didn't think that you were going to spend money on taking pictures of them if they didn't know you. And they weren't really suspicious of where you were going to go with them because media wasn't so ever present, especially mm-hmm. with the type of media like they didn't know the photographer, they didn't know Diane Arbus, really, you know, and Diane Arbus did engage with all her people. But I mostly, I didn't want, the odds that the picture I was taking was going to be great were one out of 36. And I'd say even more one out of five rolls of film. So why engage when I probably wasn't even getting a great picture? You know, I don't know which one it's gonna be because I'm not digital and I can't see. And, and also, it just was, it, I would take up my whole day to engage with every single person I took a picture of. And, um, but I did get hit once. You know, one guy, I, he was sitting down in front of a building And I photographed him. And frankly, it wasn't even that great a picture. I just couldn't stop myself. Sometimes when you're taking pictures, you go, oh, I'm going to take this one. I'm going to take this one. I'll take one more and I'll go have lunch. And you take that one more and it was that guy. And he gets up and he walks over to me, not hastily. He just kind of walked over to me. And as soon as he got to me, like punched me in the face. It was that quick. And I was like, wow. You know, like I went spinning and I'm on the street in New York and nobody cares Everybody's like, what just happened? Some guy just punched some guy, you know? And he he came back again. He went back to his spot and he came back. And this time I was ready. Now I'm like, okay, I know you're coming here to hit me. And he goes, I want my, I, you took my picture and I want, you know, I want the I want the film. I was like, no, you're not getting the film. Well, yeah, I'm going to get a cop. And I said, go get a cop because I want to know whether this is legal, your public domain as far as I know out here on the street, but, you know, and he got a cop, and then the cop um, said, "Yeah, you assaulted him," <laughs> you know, and made made the guy apologize. But, uh, <laughs> but essentially, you know, I try to not I don't engage that much with people. I, I have one picture in the book that's of this couple uh, eating at a um, at a place that I still go to around the corner, and. This is them, and I thought they're having a uh, a nice morning after, like a breakfast, and I photographed them through the window. I just took it and I kept walking, and um, three years later, I got a letter in the mail. This is 19, I took that in 1982, so 1985 or something. I get a a letter from the UK, and the girl. S- has a description with a, with a little drawing that looked like that picture and I saw this picture in a gallery and she'd seen it in the place that I exhibited it in New York and she said it's a, a, you did took a picture of my boyfriend and I having a terrific row and I just it was so british I just was like oh they're fighting <laughs> <laughs> and, and um and just the way it was written british sounded just great to me and the the, the that it was a letter and that it was like a little drawing and she just wanted a copy of it. And I sent her a copy over to the UK. And, um, and I use that letter when I do presentations sometimes, especially in the digital age, to go, this is, how, this is how long it took for that person to find me. You know, three years, but they found me and they got the picture. And then this year when I was putting the book together, I realized I hadn't, um, I hadn't I, I, why didn't I not Google her? You know, and I took the letter out and I had her name and I Googled her and it turned out she lives in New York. She won a Guggenheim grant last year. She's like a film director and she teaches like, you know, blocks away from me. And I got back in touch with her and I said, This is you, right? You know, this picture I took, that's this letter that you sent me, it's you, right? That's, that's 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, it was her. Amazing. That is amazing. So that, that, that's what I mean by pictures. Sometimes the layers of the onion take time to unravel. That's one hell of an onion. That is one hell of an onion. Because because the picture eventually becomes this large story. Yes, absolutely. You know, I took, when I was doing, another example is when I was doing the punk book and um, and I, I was photographing everybody, not just the bands, but the bartenders, the waitresses, everything. I don't think I find the picture right away, but I took this picture of this girl who was a bartender, Maureen. And she had this kind of bowl haircut that looked like, cause she was a fan of Dee Dee Ramone. So she had her haircut like Dee Dee Ramone and she was working behind the bar at CBGB's and I did a picture of her. So when I was doing the book and uh, I, I posted a picture of her online and this is now 30, 40 years later. And people were, I put it on Facebook, and people were like, oh, Maureen, I remember Maureen, she was such a great boy, she was so cute, I remember Maureen, oh, I saw Maureen in 1990, she was working as a waitress in New Paltz and and people were remarking underneath, on Facebook, and then Maureen turned, some guy found her, she was in Thailand, as a, teaching in Thailand, and she was on Facebook, and there was a picture of Maureen now. And she woke up the next morning, I guess in Thailand and contacted me and thank you because she saw all these people posting all about her. And, um, and then another guy that I photographed at CBGB's, this guy, Chris Parker. Yeah. He called me up like a few weeks later. God, this is Chris, you know, because he's still the same character he was back then. Guess where I am? I said, where? He says, I'm in Thailand with Maureen. Through Facebook, he found her. He traveled from New York to Thailand. He's still in Thailand. And the two of them got married. And from like me posting that picture, he found her, he went over there. They were probably both the same age in 1977. And now in 2018 or 17, they're both living in Thailand. And I have pictures of them from Thailand.
0: Oh, God. That so that's just... you know
1: what I mean, the, the layers of the onion of a photograph take time to unravel. That is unbelievable. It's the same way as you, your own photograph would take time. Like if you looked at a picture of yourself from 30 years ago and you saw something in the background you forgot you had, or something that was on a wall of a room you were in, or reminded you of something, these things unravel over time.
0: My God, that's, that, that, that's the art of archiving, which is one of two things then. Archiving and also keeping ownership of your work because your punk book is quite hard to get hold of now, which is in this day and age seems quite hard. Quite it's out of print now. It's out of print. Because it, mean, was,
1: it, was, it was a limited edition. I did a Kickstarter to raise money to do it because I couldn't get a publisher to pay me to do it. A yeah. pub, I couldn't get a publisher to pay to do it. And so someone, one of my collectors, somebody who collects my photographs, said, why don't you, and this is like five years ago, six years ago, said, uh, you should do Kickstarter and raise money. And I didn't know, I knew Kickstarter because I'd seen it show up at the end of films I was photographing for at the film festival. It would say, our Kickstarter donate donors. Yeah. I went like, oh. And he said, I said, you can do that for a book. And he said, "Yeah, you should do it for a photo book. You could offer, you know, prints of photographs at reduced rates if they donate money. You can, or you can kind of pre-sell the book before you print it. Yes. And I did that, and it took off. And 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 um, and so I printed. I ended up printing twenty five hundred of those, and they're gone. They they you know they sold out about a year ago. And um, we're going to do a new version with this." Company that just did my book, but Brilliant. you know on that book, I owned the rights of it because I hired the, I got, I raised the money on Kickstarter, I hired the designer, I had the book printed, I had the book, I basically distributed it myself. I packed every damn box, and um, and I brought it to bookstores. Yeah. And you now this one, actually, somebody else is printing it and storing it and shipping it. So it's a whole other experience uh, for me. But, yes, and frankly, obviously.
0: And so, you know, so we can, the fan, can sort of realize that we don't have to panic and buy it on eBay at extortionate amounts. It will be available.
1: But are yeah. you going to add to it as well? I'm, I'm, There'll be a little bit of different. It'll be a little bit different. I, I, I you know, I think I think even though this version of it is kind of a perfect version, um, I think we might change it up a little bit. But uh that's to be determined, you know, that's sort of in the pipeline, because people want it. And I only just, you know, I have a f- bunch of copies stored away, but I can't sell them. because I don't want to, you know, end that first printing completely where I have nothing. Yes. But it was, absolutely. it was quite successful. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was um, and, and the odd thing was, I, you know, when I did the Kickstarter, the publishers who turned me down, all bought copies of the book, because I could see they were buying them from me. <laughs> you know and and i was like oh that's the person i brought it to oh that's the person i brought it to and so um it's it's kind of a it it was a it was a bit of a phenomenon at the time because it it just took off so fast on kickstarter i don't i don't know why exactly but it just sort of became viral yes and um i mean partly it's because chris stein from blondie you know like i didn't even tell him that i was doing I, I told very few people except the people that helped me out until I posted it up the day of Kickstarter start. But Chris woke up the next morning in, in, in Paris and sent me an email going like, you know, I'm a big fan of your work. I, I put it on the Blondie site this morning. You know, like I didn't tell him it was coming out. I didn't ask him to do anything. He wasn't involved with it at all. He just saw it and did something. And, um, and, and then other people did something. And next thing you knew, I guess nothing else was happening at the moment. It was like in the middle of August or something. And I started this Kickstarter. And the next thing I knew, I was doing interviews for being the Kickstarter guy. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, somebody called me up from the, publi- the publishing company that had turned me down and said, they, they told me um, that, that somebody's up here is asking, who's this punk photographer selling books on Kickstarter? You must know him. And she said, you turned him down last month. You know, <laughs> you know, that's the guy you turned down. Oh, you know, but I understand in a way they, I didn't have a name that they could sell, you know, like Bob already had several books out, Gruen. Yeah. So once you have several books out and you have a track record, they believe you, but it's like anything trying to get a record contract, you know, like back then, you know, they know not like, who's, who needs the Ramones, you know, what are we going to sell? Uh, who needs Godless? I, you know, He's just another photographer that photographs punks. What's different from him than anybody else? And besides, we have a book coming out already about punks, you know, and, and who needs punks? But like, punk was such a DIY scene that when this collector said to me, why don't you do a Kickstarter? And I looked at Kickstarter and I went, that's pretty DIY. I, and people related, you know, like the same people that I'd run into on the street going, When's you when are you gonna put out a book of your punk photographs? And I go like, I, you talk to the publishers and see what they say, you know. But once I was talking directly to the people, each person donating to, 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 to get the book done, got it done like this. Yes, that was brilliant.
0: And, and it's interesting because there's a lot of the interviews I do are sort of from the 80s kind of indie scene, I suppose. But you know, at the time, you know, it just happens and you enjoy it. It's kind of 25 or 30 years later that, Sometimes you then go back to, you're not listening to that music all the time, but you sort of kind of go back and you just think, Actually, this is much better than I remember, you know, and there's <laughs> lots of stuff that I missed the first time that I've started to listen to here and there. Um, because, you know, back then you just couldn't sort of listen to Spotify or stream it. And I think suddenly there's been, you know, books on that particular scene and books on fanzines and I'm sure fanzines were just getting thrown away left, right and centre. In, in the recycling at least and then suddenly someone went no wait just let's let's put this in a book and and this is archived now this is this is actually quite interesting and so I noticed in the last five years things have really you know like okay there's a new a it's interesting b there's been a passing of time and also you know that generation have now got some money behind them you know not all of them but some people have inherited bits people have got Bit more cash and you know, whatever and they want that copy of that book and they want that copy of that film uh, because that's their history and it's their childhood and they're but, kind of know, curious can, with it
1: i can only speak from my own personal experience but i i found i could see when i did the see the, the punk book it had an international following and it had a very wide age range like young people people my age, who I consider old now, people middle-aged, people young, all, my daughter, you know, 27, her generation was interested in it. My generation was interested in it for another reason. Um, And internationally. And so that, it just, whatever happened at that place at that time, and then the way I photographed it, I guess, struck a chord. Then, you wouldn't think that the people, that photographing people on the streets of New York, without them knowing it, would strike the same chord. But it's, I, when I started posting these pictures on Instagram, the my street stuff, about spring of 2019, I started posting them like two a day for a week and two weeks. And people seemed to be remarking on them and i went are you sick of these and they were like no keep doing it and so i would pull them out of boxes and off shelves and start scanning and posting and um and i realized these are the same people that like my punk pictures really like these street pictures i'm not sure what it is about them but there's something similar a similar sense of of you know i don't know reality all of a sudden making things up that are interesting, black and white punk. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but there was a, there was a sense after, and after four to six weeks of people, like, I realized I'm live editing. I'm actually like putting pictures up and getting reactions and doing it two a day. And I'm basically editing a book, even though I, I don't know that I have a book, but after about six weeks, I got a call from an email from a, uh, This publisher, Real Art Press, saying, you know, we're gonna be really upset if you don't do a book of your street photos with us. And they had been watching. And I went like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, I I knew my followers were watching, but I didn't know publishers were watching. And so from there it became a book deal. And then from there it became like we're gonna put together a book in a year. And so it it went from posting a little bit on Instagram to posting a lot on Instagram to organizing the material. To you know, putting it, getting it all dated and numbered and put together, and then, uh, it, but it, it it there's a similarity between the two books because this book seems to have taken off. All of a sudden, you know, like it got announced. There's a couple of articles, and next thing I know, it looks like this one's going to sell out. You know, they'll 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 reprint it, but it it's going to start running out before Christmas, and it's only been out three weeks. <laughs> so I don't know. I you know, like I, I you know I I'm I'm happy because it's a lot better than the people not noticing it, like the tree falling in the forest and nobody seeing.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Um,
1: but there seems to be some similarity between these two things. Aside from them both being shot by me. And I'm not sure what it is, but it, it, it definitely has something to do with with the sensibility that I walked into CBGB's with that was already going on there that I felt a companionship with. This, you know, the same reason that I love a Blondie song seems to be the same reason people like to look at this lady on the cover of this book. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic. So look,
0: does that mean that you were one of those people who really kept and archived all your work so you know that you've got sort of all this material you haven't thought, Oh, so I've moved house, flat, and lost loads of stuff. Does that mean no? You're
1: I, still? I've always that, that's one of those things you have to do if you're a photographer. You know, you're you're basically you, you, I'm I'm not as good as I'd like to be with it, but you basically have to archive. You're, you know, you you you're you're constantly archiving because you're constantly shooting. Yeah. You're, you know, you're constantly taking pictures. You better figure out a way of keeping track of them at some point, and you know from the very. From from 1972 or three, I was already like numbering, dating every roll of film, and it made it became much easier with digital. Yes, you know? absolutely. But back then, I I was I was pretty careful. Um there's there's flaws in my systems, as there were with every photographer, because if you figure out a system and then ten years later you go, I don't know if that's working out, and you got to revise it, you know, and. Um, but, uh, but, but the one thing that was important, especially with the punk work, was to maintain owner, the punk and the film festival work was to maintain ownership of the pictures so that I wasn't shooting for people and giving away the rights. And that was pretty easy because people weren't paying much. So you went like, you're not really giving me much. So I'm giving you the services, but I own these pictures. You can use them for this article, but I own them. Yeah, that's the trick. You got to not. You got you, you that, that's the big trick along the way, so that you can be able to do stuff with those pictures.
0: Amazing! So, apart from the this book that's nearly sold out, and then the punk book, hopefully, that's going to be coming out next year. Have you got other projects that you think actually I'd really like to sort of see this come out as well? For
1: yeah, like, I do, yeah. The, the, the street photography I have so much of, and what from the time real art press came to me they were like we want to put out a book of your street work but we want to put out several books of your street work and so there was stuff that didn't make it into this book that's going to be in other books and the the there's one that i'm working on now that's probably the first project i ever did in photography the first time i knew i was good or different was um, I went to Miami Beach in 1974, and my grandparents lived down there. And I just had just been in photo school and trying to figure out what types of I was. I was trying hard to take a picture at that point because I I started to get serious and I got a little bit too serious. And I was like, w- What kind of pictures should I be taking? And then I went down to Miami Beach for like two weeks, and I photographed what's now South Beach back before it was South Beach called that. It was just a little Jewish enclave of old Jewish people that were uh, my grandparents' age that were hanging out on the streets. Um, And I photographed them on the beach, on the streets in black and white and um, came back after two weeks to my photography school and people were like, how did you get these pictures? I said, I don't really know. They were like, well, I said, I just kind of, went out and took pictures every day. I wouldn't try to do anything. And uh, and it wasn't really that far long after I'd seen the Diane Arbus pictures. So those are probably a bit of an influence. But that work, in two weeks, I have like like 80 to 100 really good pictures of that stuff. And I think that's gonna be the next one. Right. In Miami from 1974 in black and white. So it's, it doesn't look like it's colorful, like South Beach, Miami, Vice color but it's those hotels and a lot of old Jewish ladies and guys, you know, the Jewish ladies were all like, you know, why do you want my picture? You know, those people I interacted with, they go like, why do you want my picture for? And of course that meant they wanted their picture taken. You know, <laughs> where they said it was, you don't need my picture. I'm not anything, you know and I'm going like, to And then, you know, you got to meet my granddaughter. She, How long are you here? She'll love you. And, um, and I use that sort of, to be able to kind of move from person to person and get them to like pose for me as if they were my grandparents. And, um, and I got it. There's some really, I, I went home and I went, I went back after taking those pictures and I went, I, I, I don't know what I did, but I did something right. And whatever I did is what I kept doing for the rest of my career is yeah. it's photograph like that. Don't try and be anybody. Just go out and socially interact or not interact with people or work Around people and get pictures uh, and and just do it like you're you
0: yeah well, it's in i you know just almost last point, but i with the street photographs and a bit with isn't it's it's, it's it's the person, and obviously if they're you know, in the band you know that's great if they're not in the band, you know then you're still curious with that that image but then there's also all the stuff around it. it's the clothes, the hair, the style you know, the shop fronts, the fonts, you know, the, the film, you know, like there's one which has got the deer hunter, isn't it? And, and the yeah. silent partner, you know, and you're thinking, and it sort of transports you, you back there, but it's kind of archiving, you know, I mean, <laughs> it sounds absolutely obvious, doesn't it? You're archiving the streets, because at the time, that seems really modern, and now, and it's going to be like that forever, but it changes so quickly, that you think, oh my God, yes, that's what streets used to look like, and that's what we used to dress like. And, and there's some things which I find quite boggling is that when I look at those pictures, especially before 1980, you, you kind of look and you blah, blah, and we laugh at some of the haircuts and some of the clothes, and you think, there's no obese people on the streets. It's like, God, if you took a picture now, half those people would be quite overweight and some would be really overweight. And so that, those yeah. things that you just think, God, you've captured something that you went, yeah, there weren't obese people in, on the streets, but now you know, we're used to it. And that is kind of a, a phenomenon that's happened in our lifetime. That's never happened in the human race. And it's like, right. yes, that's a kind of, that's kind of one of those bloody hell, yes, absolutely. And people
1: smoking is another cliche, isn't it? You know, yeah, they, and the, the classic thing is like, when you look back at old, people look back at old pictures of themselves and they go, look what I was wearing. You know, look what my hair looked like. What was I thinking? And um, even my daughter, who's 27 would look back at like old pictures of me and like, you know, she understood very clearly that, that times change. And and if if you're dressing like the Spice Girls today, you may not be dressing like the Spice Girls in five to 10 years. And when when somebody looks, she'd go like, I bet somebody's going to look back at a picture of me dressed like this. And, you know, and, and, and wonder, you know, what I was doing. You know, and I <laughs> so, won't be. You know, because even though you think you're modern and you're now, and and everything's going to always be the same, fashions change, things change.
0: Absolutely, those glasses will be quite. I'm sure you've had lots of different glasses in your time, you right? Know, fashion, but look, what would you say then to an 18? If you could have said something to an 18 year old self starting out, and you thought, yes, there's a there's a couple of little things that I would have liked to have just told them. Or one. In photography. Yeah, in just life. You just think, oh, there was there was something that I
1: would have just said. You just yeah. keep, your, keep your eyes open and keep thinking. You know, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, keep your eyes open, keep thinking, and, and to some degree, trust yourself. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I listened to my mother, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I listened to my friends that stood outside CBGB's and said, you're really going in there? And I'd say, yeah, I'm going in there. You know, like what I'd say to people, or what I, you know, trust your own instincts and keep, keep, keep thinking, you know? And, and if you're photographing, keep your eyes open. And, and, and um, I always say like, shoot first and think later. <laughs> you know, you can, use, what's the worst that's gonna happen? You know, you waste, in the day of analog, you know, so you waste a roll of film, what's it cost you? You know, in the scheme of things, yeah, you know. but you might get something and you know if you and and uh and now, of course, digital, you don't have to worry about that really true, this is true, but you know i have to
0: say, just love you know i mean I'm one of those people that wasn't about during that time i mean, I'm in my mid fifties now, so it was happening, but for a kid like me, I was quite young and based in you know, in Norwich, which wasn't a public scene at all, but I sort of look back at, you know, like that book, you know, Don't Kill Me, the Danny Fields film that was kind of fascinating. Right, a great film, yeah. It's a great film with Danny. And, you know, you've got all that, that those characters and, you know, Iggy Pop and, you know, the whole sort of Andy Warhol scene at Max's. And the whole thing has just become, you know, Robert Mapplethorpe, Patti Smith, you know, blondie television talking heads. You know, it's a bit like, well, wow, my God, no wonder people want to go back and sort of, you know. Right. Well, I, I,
1: have, I have people, I have, this has been happening for a while, but and I stopped worrying about it. But people would like go like, oh, I so wish I could have been there and, and taking those pictures when you took them. And I'd say, yeah, but then you'd have to be my age, you know, now. You yes. know? And they go, well, I'm going to have to be your age anyway. So I just wish I, that when I was, that, you know, that it, it, when I'm young, I could have seen what you saw when you were young. And so I went, okay, you're right about that you know, you are going to have to eventually be older, you know, I didn't let that part worry me anymore, but I guess I was lucky, you know, and, and also the, sometimes you, you, you're, you're, you know, I, I've certainly had, when I got to the CBGB punk scene, I had like a, uh some, I wouldn't call her a girlfriend, but she was like, you know, like, Oh, you missed everything. I was like, well, what are you telling me? I feel like I, you know, I'm catching some pretty good stuff. But, you know, like, there's always going to be somebody that's telling you, you know, you missed it.
0: Yes. And, well, I, and, would ama- I would imagine at that time. Well, I'm like, oh, I, I, would, I, I would imagine at that, that time a lot of people would have been oh, if only I'd been born in the 60s. It was much
1: better. Right. Than. So well, if- what she was saying was, you know, you missed the New York Dolls, but you caught the Ramones and Blondie and Talking Heads. And I'm going like, okay, so I did. You know, I was somewhere <laughs> else in 1974. All right. But that's don't 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 talk me to China about it, you know. <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend my time crying over that. I got what I got. Yes, and I, and I mean, you
0: know, Kevin Cummings, I, I know I mentioned him before, but I mean, yeah. he's quite a sour Mancunian, you know, with um, yes, quite a very serious you know, manner. And when people say, "Oh, you were lucky," it's like. No, I wasn't, you know, anyone, you, right. know, so, you know, it's like, I, I did it, you know, anyone could have done it, but no one
1: else did. I was there doing it. So, you know, it wasn't, it's true. You, know. you know, yeah, you, you got to believe in yourself and you also got to, um, you gotta, you gotta do a good job when you see that stuff. I mean, like I definitely had moments at CBGB's where I was like, there's, there's, um, if I don't take this picture, nobody else will. You know, and then on top of it, I went, I want to take it well, you know, and then out on the street, you walk around on the street, you go like, you, you look at like, I would look at Gary Winogrand and Robert Frank's pictures and I'd go like, I wish I was there in the 50s or the 60s, but I'm here in the 70s and I'd be out on the street and go, you know, there's not that many people out here on the street. And of those people, there's only a subset that are doing it well, mm. that are keep doing it. And then of that subset, there's only going to be a certain subset that are going to archive it and hold on to it, and um, and so you got to believe in yourself, and at the same time realize there's there's you know there's not that many people there's a lot of people in the world, but there's not that many people. There weren't that many people at CBGBs while I was standing watching the Ramones, and I'd look around and I'd go like, there's not that many people here. I you know like I I I, I am lucky that I'm here, and I'm and I'm and at the same time I am going to get some pictures out of this because nobody else is here you know there were there were a number of people yeah but there you know then there was room enough for like 10 photographers with 10 really good points of view right and so if you could be one of those 10 that's enough because in the long run 10 people that figured something out is really small compared to like the Millions of people that were walking around New York City those days.
0: Yes, probably thinking, "When's the Eagles going to bring out their next album?" Yeah. I want, I want <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, oh God. Yeah. I I, I. I. I had a job where I just had to listen to Eagles songs over like some really bad sound system while I was at work, and I'll never forget. And I'm like, "Oh my God, that again!" <laughs> I went down to like CBGBs, and everybody was like, "You know, not that Joe." Uh, whatever his name from the Eagles was not good, but it just was like, it was ubiquitous, all that stuff in the, in the ether of the world. And uh, you know, like everything was so mellow and take it easy. And I was like, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't that young. I was in my twenties, but uh, I didn't want to take it easy. (laughs) you never want to take it easy when
0: you're 20 everybody moved
1: out to california to take it easy and i was like great they're gone new york sucks i'm staying here (laughs) They're gone because new york sucks and they want to take it easy (laughs) great go goodbye rents are cheap i'll get all the pictures yes
0: well absolutely well it's great that you've you know i mean you know just last thing i mean it was kind of I mean, I know you didn't do the mud club, but it's just great everyone's brought out. Their oh yeah,
1: clubs. yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I love that. I, I kind of, mi- I went to the mud club, but I, by that point, I was burnt out, and I was just starting to. I had a, a bit of an illness at the time, and so, um, I, I didn't spend that much time at the mud club. Yes, I pictures. Oh yeah, Duncan had his books, great too. Yeah. Yeah, it's just great that these things are out because for everything that you might have missed somebody's caught it. I know you it know. is it is pretty good, but you know he's got
0: oh this is oh so you must have um oh this is the book Just last thing, but this is the guy I interviewed and he was from Boston as well. Did you come across him?
1: Um, I don't think I did actually Post-punk new wave. I think I, that's a little bit um, I mean, I was going through Boston because my wife's from Boston and I was going back to Boston to visit friends, but um, the, by by the eighties, I was moving on to other stuff. And, and um, yes, yeah, because because when, when I left Boston, I mean, the the I did even when I was there, Jonathan Richmond, the Modern Lovers was there, and I missed that because um, I was so into photography at that point that I didn't see anything. Like I didn't stop even listening to rock and roll. I was so busy and learning how to take photographs and reading books by photographers and and I kind of I you know I, I was so immersed for a couple of years I missed certain important things that were going on well, I never you know like yeah so then that was going on in Boston but I somehow missed it I sort of saw the New York Dolls pass through Boston but um I wasn't quite yet up to f- being a rock photographer I was just—I kind of, was, I was like—I was trying to be Diane Arbus, and I was like, you know, in my own head at that point. Yeah, you miss things. You know, you, you catch things, you miss things. Somebody else catches it. If you don't catch it, that's a good thing. Plenty of people in the world. Plenty of people can get pictures.
0: Yeah, because it was um, just last thing Bob Gruen. He did mention one of his influences was Ouija. Did Ouija?
1: Of course, it? yeah. Ouija. I, well, the the um, the back of my book. Oh, it's on my shirt. Okay, Th- this was my rubber stamp that went on the back of photographs. It was like black on white. So this is reversed. And um, this rubber stamp is kind of a uh, appropriation would be the word from Ouija who, I'll be right there. Uh, where do I have it? Oh, here. This was Ouija's rubber stamp. Right. It said Ouija, and so I, when I looked for something to stamp on the back of my photographs, I went to a rubber stamp joint, and I said, "Can you make this rubber stamp for me, but with Godless on it?" And then I didn't know what to put. He has credit photo by and Ouija the famous, and I was like, "What am I going to put down there?" And then I looked at a coin, and the U.S. coins all say "In God We Trust" at the bottom. And so I said, "Oh, that's what I'll put on, it. I'll put it like, like a <laughs> coin." And, um, and so that became my rubber stamp that I stamped on the back of the photos when I'd send them out to magazines. And I loved Ouija. Yeah, like, like Ouija photographed down on the Bowery. He photographed clubs on the Bowery. He was a crazy old Jew around New York. I feel like I could identify with that um, from the 1940s. Um, and so that the funny thing is, is that rubber stamp. Then in the digital age, when it came time to make a website, I went, oh, I bet if I stamp it on a piece of paper and I scan it, I can make that the opening page of my website. And then these people from Japan came over in 2005 to negotiate a deal with Hilly Crystal about t-shirts in Japan. And they came over to my apartment and they saw my rubber stamp that's now a thing on my website. And they went, Oh, you have a logo and you have photos. We want to license your name in Japan. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then but they they saw it right away. They went like this is a logo. I went, because I just went, Oh, it's a rubber stamp that looks good on my website. And they went, like, no, that's a logo we want to license this and put it on t-shirts and then put your pictures on t-shirts. And I was like, okay. You know, so it <laughs> became, we, my steal from Ouija became my logo became the back of my book or whatever, you know? Yes. So, and, but, but for me, that was the rubber stamp that I just kept stamping on my back of my pictures. So I would make sure to get them back and make them look cool on the back. I yes. you know, always want to make, that one extra step. So that like when the guy from NME receives it in the mail, he goes, oh, it's a picture from the Ramones, who took it and then he turns it over and he goes, if he knows anything about Ouija, he goes, oh, this guy did a steal, a cool steal from Ouija. Yes, absolutely. That's amazing. Oh, so look. Was, yeah.
0: I was gonna say, well, thank you ever so much. And look, this has been amazing and fantastic work. And when I do the interview, when I do the show, I can send you a link and then you can always use it on your website. And oh, fantastic. Um, because people love listening to these. So yeah, I, I, do,
1: I, I do the post on Instagram and tell people. Okay, and that's then, great. You know, I sort of go on my Facebook page a little bit but more on Instagram, but my, my Facebook people know me too. Yes, I'm well, that's great. Right
0: well, look, thank you ever so much, David. I'm really looking forward to the reprint as well, by the way.
1: Great. Let me, <laughs> let, me know, let me know if you need any pictures for your.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, look, thank you and have a great day. And um, I'll be Oh, yeah, this was fabulous. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, David. Take care. Thank All right, you, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye bye. There you go. I love to leave that little bit of end bit in just because it's so, you know, fumbling, fumbling. We are, let's face it, I'm English and we like to fumble. And sort of apologize a lot. Anyway, look, that's the end of the interview. A huge thank you to David Godless for that. And also, his book, which is titled uh, Godless Streets, is going to be or well, is out on Real Art Press, available from all good bookshops and also online. Uh, this has been me, David Eastall. You can, um, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86Show. Um, Keep it positive, obviously. If you're, if you're not happy, then don't bother. And all these interviews have been archived. So, um, yes, yeah, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Mostly their music, but they, sometimes we just go off-road. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe and all that.